You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. If you have your Bible, maybe you'd uh, turn to Acts chapter 2, to that passage 42 to 47. We'll turn to it in a moment or two. Uh, if I had a title for this sermon, it would be Making an Impact. <clears throat> We're, we're living in very strange days, aren't we? Um, and, and the society that we live in is having an impact upon us, whether we realize it or not, uh, through the media, through, um, mainly through the media, I would say, and through the, the lives of the people that we come in contact with every day, we are being impacted. But I want to talk about making an impact, about us, the church, making an impact. Uh, I think that's so important in these days. Um, I want you to turn your mind back to 2001. Remember, there was an event happened in the world in September 2001 that impacted the whole world. I'm sure you remember what that event was. Anybody? The World Trade Center. The planes flying into the World Trade Center. Do you remember where you were then, I wonder? I remember where I was. My wife and I were in the King's Hall at, it must have been a, a home exhibition. Or, you remember the days when we had those things? And, and people had this come over on their phone. And, and I thought, what are they talking about? But I, I remember when I, when, when I realized what had happened, the shock, the impact that it had on me, and then, of course, the impact that it had on the whole world because it changed air travel from that moment to this. Now you need to be in your full health and strength to travel anywhere because you need to count for two and a half hours in the airport before you go and all the rigmarole security that you have to go through. It, it has made an impact on the whole world. One year later, September 2002, happened to be uh, our 30th wedding anniversary. And we went to America in September, and it was, it was during the time of the first anniversary of that terrible, terrible incident. And, and we could see that the whole country was shaken to the core because of that incident. Now, those of you who have traveled to the USA, uh, you'll know that their television is absolute rubbish. You couldn't watch a program because you're watching a program and you're into it five minutes, you're just getting into it, and then you suddenly realize, here, this, isn't, this is an advert I'm watching. And they just snuck it in there, and, and, then, and then the story takes, oh, hold on, that's not an advert, that's the story. So it's really, really difficult. But I have to say, that time we were there, at the anniversary, the television was superb. All the, the national broadcasters had given over their entire schedule to remember the events of the previous year. And, and those events were uh, uh, caricatured by 
mainly testimonies of people who had lived through this event, where they were, what they saw, the, the things that they came across. And, and for six hours, I sat enthralled as I watched and listened, and I'm not ashamed to admit that I wept as I listened to some of those stories, what people suffered. Americans are great for bumper stickers. And, and by far and away the most popular bumper sticker at that time that I saw was God Bless America. But it wasn't just on their bumpers. It was on their buildings, on their public buildings. It was on their banks. In the largest letters, God Bless America. It was God Bless America with a vengeance almost. It was... You know that that is one of their sayings. But this was everywhere. It read white and blue. And as I looked at that, I, I couldn't help but note the irony of that prayer request. God bless America. Because I, I couldn't help thinking, here's a people who want the blessing of God in their country and yet want nothing to do with them in their practical living. As a nation, they have said to God, stay out of our affairs. We don't want to pray to you in school. We want to remove your commandments from our public buildings. God bless us, but don't tell us how to behave in our marriages, or don't tell us about what our sexual preferences should be. Don't influence us with regard to our unborn children. Don't... Uh, have any input as far as gambling laws are concerned and let us get on with our materialism. God bless America, but keep your hands off America. What a contradiction. Now I realize here I'm making very broad generalizations because there are many millions of Americans who love the Lord and who hate what is happening there. But when I think about these things, Romans 1 comes to mind. And read Romans 1 when you go home today. And how it says three times, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. And you discover at the end of that chapter how things go from bad to worse. And, and you can see in the in the succeeding 21 years that have happened since I was there, things haven't got better in America or anywhere else. They've just gone from bad to worse, exactly as Romans 1 says. But of course, we shouldn't be complacent either. At least the Americans, even if it is at a superficial level, at least they recognize there is such a thing as the blessing of God. There isn't that recognition in the United Kingdom, sadly. When was the last time you heard anyone in public life, in Parliament, call for the blessing of God? You haven't because there is no public acknowledgement of God's existence in our society. Well, with the possible exception of state funerals, and I dare say it'll get a mention at the upcoming coronation. But it'll be purely lip service. And so I want to pose a question this morning. How has this state of affairs come about? How has it come about that our society is the way that it is? 
And as I have thought about that a good deal, I, I have to come to the conclusion, at least this is, this is the conclusion that I have come, that at least some of the blame, at least some of the blame must be laid at the church's door. We as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about the church universal here. We as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ have signally failed to make an impact or influence our generation for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've failed. And with that lengthy introduction, I want to turn to Acts 4, or to Acts 2. 42 to 47, and see what we need, what I believe we need to make an impact on our society and our day and generation. And I want to mention four things. I think, first of all, we need devoted compassion. And, and we see this in, in two ways in the Jerusalem church. We see, first of all, it was a caring church, verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. We, we live in a very cynical world, don't we? we? We're always wondering if someone offers us something, immediately we think, where's the catch? You know, I remember, I remember years ago in Kilkeel. Now, I would never do this in Palomina, but in Kilkeel, I remember standing in the pulpit and saying, look, I have got a pound here, and I, I took a pound out of my pocket, and it says, now, this is a genuine pound, and I will give this pound to the first child who comes up into the pulpit. Now, all you have to do is get up out of your seat and come up into the pulpit, and I will give you this pound. You know how many people come up? None. As I say, I wouldn't do that in Balamini. You'd be killed. <laughs> You'd be killed in the rush. Not one. Why? Why? Because they're thinking, where's the catch? I know he wants to do something. He's going to get me to do something. So they're all, we're naturally on the defensive when somebody, you know, offers us something. But one of the things that marked out the Christian church from the rest of society was the fact that they loved each other. They loved each other. Jesus himself, you remember, said, the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. As I have loved you, he said, so you must love one another. And right throughout Scripture, God's people are prevailed upon to love each other. Not only to love each other, of course, but to love your enemies, to love God, to love your neighbor. But it can't stop at a theoretical level. It must be worked out practically and really. And so it was not just a caring church, it was a sharing church. You see it there in verse 45. In verse 45, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Whenever they saw a need, they not just said, you know, I, I care about your need. I, I, I can see you have a need there and, and, and I'm, I'm with you. No. They did something about it. They did something about it. And their generosity was noticed. The world stood back and noticed this and wondered what's going on. Think of the impact on a society that was eking out an existence. People had nothing in those days. 
it must have had a big impact. And of course, we learn these lessons and seek to put them into practice, don't we? You see, it's not enough as a church to say we care. We've got to show it. Mind you, the world doesn't often notice. You know, just recently, our our own denomination raised a million pounds through a moderator's appeal. Was it, was it, I don't know whether it was for the earthquake or for Ukraine, I can't remember which, but a million pounds. Now, over the last week or two, we've had plenty of publicity. You know, we're being criticized. Our moderator-elect is being criticized. But nobody put in the press, here's a church that is generous. Here's a church that is liberal. Here's a church that's giving practical help. And it's not just our, there are other denominations have done the same, but impacting the world around us by devoted compassion. But then, secondly, we need delightful communion. And we see that in verses 44 to 46. We'll, we'll read them again. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Do you see how many togethers there? They're together. And, and it, it, the word that's used there is koinonia. It, it means fellowship, which, which has to do with holding something in common. Here were people who shared great spiritual realities in common. Here's were a crowd of people who had been converted on the day of Pentecost. And, and here's what they had in common. Here's what they held in common. They were by nature sinners. They were lost in sin without Christ and without hope. And, and they had heard the gospel. The, the apostles had preached the gospel, the good news to them, that there's a way back to God, that our sins can be dealt with. And they had responded. They had repented. They had turned from their sin. They had trusted the Savior. And they had crossed over from from death to life. They had become children of God. And, And they had all these things in common. They were now brothers and sisters in Christ. They were all one in Christ Jesus. They had fellowship with God and they had fellowship with each other together. Now here's the thing. If you find yourself out of fellowship with God, fellow believer, then you will begin to find yourself out of fellowship with other believers. It's a given. It's a given. If you find yourself out of fellowship with God, you will very quickly find yourself out of fellowship with other believers. You begin to drift. But if you come close to God, you will inevitably find yourself drawn closer to other believers, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me ask you a question just now. And and ask this question of, of those of you who are Christians. Let me ask you, are you involved in the fellowship here? I'm I'm not asking you, do you come to church every Sunday? I can see that. And it's it's been the delight of my heart to come here and see the attendances here. Not asking you to attend church. But are you involved in the fellowship? You know, do you, 
have you some way in which you serve the Lord here in this fellowship? And if not, why not? If, if you're a Christian and you're not involved, then you are missing out. Because that will help you to grow. But not only are you missing out, the fellowship is missing out. The church is missing out by not having you involved. If you want to impact this community, this society for God, if you want the world to sit up and take notice, then I believe there has to be that delightful communion and that devoted compassion. And then the third thing I believe we need is that dynamic communication. And we see this in four ways. And the first one I want to mention is praying. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The Jerusalem church were a praying church. The Jerusalem church brought everything to God in prayer. In in fact, the New Testament church brought everything to God in prayer. Read through just this one book of the Acts of the Apostles and you will see that again and again and again. They brought everything to God in prayer. Everything. When they were persecuted, they brought it to God in prayer. When they were imprisoned, they held prayer meetings. They prayed to God. When their friends were put to death, they, they lifted up those who were, who were grief-stricken in prayer. Do you notice whenever they were under the severest pressure, do you notice what they prayed for? They they didn't pray, Lord, overthrow the Romans. Lord, overthrow the Pharisees and the scribes because they're, they're tramping us into the ground. What did they pray for? Boldness. Make us more bold. Make us braver, Lord. Help us more clearly to stand out for you. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to be better witnesses. You want to impact our society for God? Do you want to impact your society for God? Maybe you think, I would have needed to hear this message 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I'm now old and decrepit and well-stricken in years. Too old. I don't have the ability. What can I do? Well, here's what you can do. Here's what every believer can do. You can pray. You can pray. You can pray. Imagine you have this direct access to the Lord of all glory, to the one who's omnipotent, who has all power, to the one who's omniscient, who has all knowledge, to the one who's everywhere present. Your prayers are not contained to where you are. You can go over geographical borders, political borders. You can pray without ceasing. You can do that. Now, here's the question. Do you? Do you? You can do it, but do you do it? 
Here's the greatest weapon at our disposal, and yet it lies neglected so often. What's the smallest meeting in the church usually in the week? It's the prayer meeting, unless Union Road's different from anywhere else. So we need to make sure that we pray in the secret place, on our own, before God. Remember? Isn't that what Robert Murray McShane said about a minister, but it applies to any Christian? What a minister is, on his knees in secret before God, that he is and nothing more. What a Christian is, on his knees before God in secret, that he is and nothing more. So, young people, older people, middle-aged people, this applies to preacher and hearers like all of us. We must not neglect that secret place. Every day, coming before the Lord, telling him everything about us. He knows everything about us, but, but bringing it to him. And, and then, of course, not just, not just in private, but also in public in public, making use of every opportunity to meet with the believers, the other believers, so that corporately you can bring your requests to God in prayer. And all the time you're impacting, impacting, impacting the world. Your prayers are impacting the world. Imagine your prayers. This, the, the private prayers and the public prayers are impacting the world. It was a praying church, and it was a preaching church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, preaching and teaching. Notice it says, they devoted themselves. Now, that's a very strong word. If you're devoted to something, then aren't your heart and soul in it? You know, it's not, just a, it's not just a passing acquaintance you have with something. If you're devoted to something, you're sold out to it. And, and that's what they were here. What has God to say to me about the issues of life? Well, how will we know? Unless we're taught the word of God. What does God say about honesty and integrity and faithfulness? What does God say about good government and morality and salvation and eternity and, and all of those things? Well, the Bible is full of his instructions. If we want to impact society, then we'll be a preaching church. And not just in the, this format, this formal format, but, but as you go through life, as you meet people, as you talk to people, you are able to impart some knowledge to them of the gospel. Be a praying church, a preaching church, and a praising church. Verse 47. Verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If we want to impact society for God, we will be those who will want to give all the glory and all the praise of what God has done in our lives to God. That we will take none of the credit, but we'll give him all the glory. We'll do that formally and we'll do that informally. We'll do that in public and we'll do it in private. Notice it says in the temple courts and in their homes. So let me ask you, are, are, you, are you one of those who praises God or complains to God? 
a praiser or a complainer. Praise is an extremely important aspect of our worship. It touches every part of our worship, privately and corporately. It's not just the songs we sing. It's the prayers that we offer. I hope that a good part of our praying is praising God, not just coming with our request, you know, with our shopping list. That praising goes with the praying, doesn't it? And it will also be a powerful church. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. When God's people put all these things to the fore, the praying, the preaching, the praising, then powerful things begin to happen. Miracles happen. And the greatest miracle that can happen to anyone is when they're changed from being a child of the devil into a child of God. When they cross over from death unto life, there's no greater miracle than that. And, and what happens is that these people then become salt and light. Is anything more radical than that? Salt to stop the putrefaction of society, light to overcome the darkness. So, so what the world needs, actually, it doesn't know it, but here's what the world needs. It needs Christians who will stand up and be counted, who are not afraid to be different. Not afraid to call sin, sin. You know, our young people need our prayers. Maybe now more than any other time. They're growing up in a society where the whole world is against them and trying to squeeze them into its mold and impose their understanding of morality upon them. And we need young people who are willing to say no to the morality of the day. We need middle-aged people who are willing to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. We need old people to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. We need Christian politicians who stand against the current trend. We need Christian parents who exercise loving discipline on their children. In other words, we need people who are prepared and willing to be different. Isn't that, isn't that what the Word of God means by being holy? Be holy, for I am holy. And, and sadly, what we find often is that, that Christians just want to blend in, don't, don't want to stand out just want to blend in. I tell you, if we stand out, if we stand up for what God wants and, and God's standards, I tell you, that will impact the world. It will make a difference. And then the fourth thing we see is daily conversions. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In the days of the apostles, the church was accused of turning the world upside down. Isn't that true? And they did. They turned the world upside down. You see, they were having an impact upon their society. And it was happening as the people of God reached out to their, to their relatives, to their neighbors, to their friends, invited them to hear the word of God. 
shared the word of God with them, lived it out before them. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the challenge that faces us in the 21st century. That's the challenge that faces all who know and love the Lord today. But here, here's the problem. The tragedy of today is that the world has turned the church upside down. The world has turned the church upside down. It is the world that has impacted the church rather than the other way around. So that now, in the last few weeks, the Church of England has said they're going to bless same-sex marriages. Oh, why? Why? Well, because that's the trend, you know. That's the way the world is going, and we don't want to appear to be irrelevant. The exact opposite of what we're called to be. We're called to be different. We're called to say, look, here's what the Word of God says. We... You can't call evil good and good evil. So, fellow believer, can I ask you, what are your expectations concerning the conversion of others? What are your expectations concerning the conversion of others? Do you have any? Are you not only praying for others, but are you reaching out to them? Are you inviting them to church with a sense of expectation that they'll get converted? Do you still believe that? Here, here you're at a perfect time, a new ministry about to begin. You know, there's a world out there that's curious. Well, tap into that. Tap into that. Maybe, maybe you have a neighbor who, who hasn't been to church for a long time. Here's the ideal opportunity to say, look, come and hear our new minister. I'll, I'll, look, I'll pick you up. I'll sit with you. Because it's very, very difficult for someone who hasn't been to church for a long time to come. They feel like a fish out of water. But, but if someone will bring them and sit with them, you could do that, couldn't you? Bring them in under the word of God. If they're under the word of God, it's an opportunity for the spirit of God to speak to them. Look, my time's gone. This is why I was late coming in the first place. But let me finish. Let me finish by taking you back 20 odd years to that time we were in the States uh, and tell you a story from 9-11. A lady school principal in charge of 500 children in her school. She was the principal. 500 children in her school. Five blocks from the World Trade Center. She was a Christian. And she got them all out safely. And she came to a clearing. And she couldn't believe what she saw. Hundreds of people, hardened New Yorkers, hundreds of them on their knees crying to God for mercy because they thought the end of the world had come. She suddenly remembered her own sister worked in the World Trade Center. And she discovered, though, her and all her children and staff were safe. Her sister died. Part of her jawbone was found in December 2001. I tell you that story because it illustrates what happens when people think that the end has come. I remember preaching the Sunday after 
the event, the World Trade Center. I was in Kilkeel, and I remember saying on that occasion that some people, some people thought that it was the end of the world. And I remember asking the people, what if it had been? Would you have been ready? Well, here we are, 21 and a half years later, and we're 21 and a half years nearer the end of the world. Are you ready? Are you? Are you ready to meet him as your savior, or are you going to meet him as your judge? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Let's pray. 